Is an aviation university degree worthwhile versus a regular flight school? Do RA Oz hours count towards job applications? And can I use a GPS and my iPad during my nav training? All these questions are more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 20, Mailbag Edition of Flight Training Australia, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thanks for joining me. So yeah, 20 episodes, how's that? So I thought the best way to go about it is to uh, have a bit of a mailbag edition and answer some of the subscriber questions that you guys have all sent to me over the last month and a bit. If you're enjoying the content, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. You'll get alerts every Monday when new episodes come out and special episodes like this one will come out every now and then generally on a Thursday towards the end of the month just to make sure I keep you all quenched for your aviation fix each week. You can also support me on Patreon. There's three tiers of regular monthly support, or you can just follow me on Patreon. And also a one-off donation is also available. Anything helps. It takes a lot of time and effort to put all these together, um, plus the equipment and everything to produce everything. I'm about to start launching into YouTube soon, so every dollar helps. If you'd like to know more, there's a link in the description below. All right, so into the listener questions. First question is an email sent in from Ned Holland, and he's wondering if he could get my opinion on university training versus traditional flight training pathways. Well, yes, Ned, you can. And I have been asked this one a few times. I think the big thing to understand here is there are two types of university degree. There is the aviation university degree, which is offered by a number of universities throughout Australia. As an alternative to that, there is also uh, uh, advanced diplomas. And you really need to just decide on the content of those courses and whether that's something you want to do. However, the typical concept of doing a degree is usually something other than your chosen field, i.e. aviation. So you would pick something else that's of interest as a fallback career option. So is there any point in doing aviation degree with an aviation job and essentially that's all you're going to be trained in? That's going to be up to you. My viewpoint is I did an advanced diploma in aviation. I haven't done a degree or anything else in any other field. So I do have other skills, but none of them in a formal uh, diploma or documentary sense. I've known some very, very talented, experienced people who have had a midlife crisis or just change of direction later in life and have found it very, very difficult to get any worthwhile job um, that pays well because I haven't got a degree or a diploma or some other form of accreditation in that area. So, look, it is worth considering. University, uh, TAFE, Tech College, all those sort of things, 
will generally also come with a vet fee help payment option. Again, not the cheapest way to go flying, but if that's the only means for you to be able to achieve your dreams, then hey, go for it. It's it's just horses for courses. If that's the only way that you can get your flying, even if it's just in part, go for it, get the loan, do the flying, get a job and start paying it off whenever you can. It will cost you more. It's not for everybody and it's not just a funding option for training. That's the other thing to remember for fee help. It is a very structured, limited scope uh, training option. You'll have a certain number of hours in which to achieve the desired level. If you're struggling, you won't make it. You'll be forced off the course and you'll have to find a way to self-fund yourself to, to get that phase of training done and then potentially, depending on how the course is set up, you may be able to reapply for uh, RPL or recognition of prior learning. That would then let you into the next phase and you can go from there. But if you're struggling, it may happen again. You're going to be in the same boat. And most likely the reason you're on fee help in the first place is because you can't afford the training. You're going to have a lot of trouble trying to get yourself over the line in order to get that RPL uh, qualification and carry on. So at the end of the day, majority of employers are going to be happy with a license and associated ratings. Whether you have a degree or not in aviation is not going to be a real major uh, talking point. It's not going to necessarily stop you getting in. Sometimes the airlines like to see that you've been able to commit to a field of study in something and that is just leading towards your ability to learn and and, and essentially get a type rating on an aeroplane. Same sort of thing. You're going to be able to knuckle down, get the job done and come out the other side. Now, I've seen some people with university degrees and I wouldn't necessarily agree with that statement, but hey, that's the general thought process on that one. So I think as long as you have some fallback options for your career path and you get a license one way or another, you're in the job hunt and you're all good to go. All right, Ned, so thank you so much for that question. I hope that really helps you out. All right, this question was sent in by uh, some high school kids Spencer, Sam, and Tim. Sorry, I shouldn't call you kids, should you? I call everybody kids, so anyone younger than me. So Spencer, Sam, and Tim, they're currently in high school listening to the podcast. So g'day, guys, and have asked a really good question. How does a GA employer view someone applying for a job with a CPL logbook uh, full of RAOs hours? All right, controversial topic. My viewpoint. RAOs is a very broad training option. And I think fundamentally the quality of training you're going to get in RAOs and everyone's like, hang on, what's he going to say? The quality, just as it does in an RA school to a GA school, depends on the instructor. You could have a GA experienced instructor. You could have a very experienced RA instructor. If they're going to instill standards and good quality training in you, then it's going to serve you really, really well. On the other hand, if you've got a low-time uh, RAOs instructor who could be a private pilot who's got the instructor rating, they're going to be teaching you from an RA perspective 
And that's only going to go so far into your GA career and eventually uh, when it comes to coming to find a job. All right, so I've spoken to a few chief pilots and their general view on the subject matter was that they're not at all opposed to seeing some RA Oz hours in the air, uh, sorry, in the logbook. They acknowledge that sometimes RA aircraft can be a little bit smaller, a bit twitchier, good stick and rudder skills. So generally you'll have really good handling of the aircraft. However, there is a limit to that and you would want to consider how far you went. I would generally think that the RPL or maybe the RPL with the nav endorsement in the RA aircraft would be as far as you want to go. After that, you really want to be getting into something bigger, heavier, uh, potentially faster. I know there's some plenty of RAOs aircraft that do a decent speed, but that's really what you want to be doing in an RA, uh, sorry, in a GA environment and learning from someone who hopefully has some commercial and charter experience that can impart that onto you ready for that job application. And that's really an RA, GA thing anywhere. If you're going to be taught by an instructor who's really basing your training on their training and their instructor based their training that they gave the instructor who's now training you on their training, there's going to be a gradual decrease um, in, in standard. And that's just the nature of the beast. It's not anyone's fault. As I've said in other podcast episodes, I was very fortunate to have exposure to a great mix of flying, personal hands-on flying, charter, flight training, uh, twin multi, the whole lot. So that all really helped, made me a good overall rounded instructor, whereas a lot of instructors these days, especially if they're caught in uh, cadet-style training facilities, are very limited in the scope and their exposure. So... Moral of the story, if you're an instructor, try and get as much uh, breadth and uh, exposure to different types of flying as you can. And if you're a student looking to do RA to get that uh, those hours started nice and early because it is a much more affordable uh, level of flying, keep it to a minimum. So around the RPL to PPL standard, and really try and get the most experienced RA instructor you can, preferably with a GA uh, background if you can. All right. So thanks, guys. Really great question and appreciate you uh, sending it in. All right. Finally, this question has been asked multiple times. So this is dedicated to all of you who have asked it. Can I use the GPS and my iPad during my NAV training? I can't even tell you the number of times I've had people, even just recently, who are doing an instrument rating, starting out and asking me, is it okay if I use an iPad? Of course it is. All right. Can I use a GPS? Of course it is. Oh, but my instructor just turns it off. All right. So let's look at a few things. First of all, the manual standards and the PPL and CPL to flight test forms have GPS use on them. Okay, we live in 2022, people. It is time to get with the times. Now, yes, basic nav and uh, map chart reading skills need to be taught and learned. Absolutely, no question about it. Right? I was flying back with my wife a while ago from Perth back to Darwin and looking out the window and no uh, 
you know, GPS tracker on my iPad. I just had the chart. I was looking at land features, figured out where I was, and, yep, good old nav skills are still there. There's no reason why you can't use an iPad. You can turn the aircraft off, so instructors out there, just turn the aircraft symbol off, then it's just a chart like any other, okay? You can still do everything they need to do. It's going to overheat. They've got to have a backup. You still stick to the EFB uh, rules and procedures and policies there because that's just common sense, all right? You rock up with me in Darwin for an IPC with your iPad on your knee with the sun shining on it. Boom, there's the big thermometer. Don't look at me. I can't help you because I'm not going to be there when it happens to you when you're by yourself. So as long as they've got the backups and everything else, you can use the iPad, no worries at all. You can use the GPS. Put a flight plan in. Show the students how to use the stupid thing. All right. Like I said, we're in 2022. Program it properly. Do integrity checks on the waypoints. Show how to divert. Show the difference between activating a leg and a direct to a position. I've still got several hundred hour uh, commercial pilots up here flying with me and just using a direct to function and not using the GPS properly. So it's high time everyone got with the times and started to teach these skills because it is there. We are removing nav aids. We are moving to a GPS reliant system and the fundamental skills need to start now. So get amongst it. There are simulators with GPSs in them. There are online trainers. There's YouTube videos, uh, apps you can get on your iPad that cover a lot of the, the, uh, the latest GPS versions out there. So I strongly encourage everybody to get on that wagon and use the technology because it's there, it's brilliant, and it can add to our situational awareness when people know how to use it. If they don't, it can be an absolute distraction and cause all sorts of drama. So start the process early. All right, thank you everyone for your questions this week. It's been fantastic. Um, I'm going to put a post out shortly uh, asking for more questions on Instagram and Facebook. Just uh, put your questions in the comments section below and I will deal with those later in the month for another mailbag episode. I'm aiming to get another one out in March. I missed it in February, but we'll get another one out in a few weeks' time. So keep an eye on that. Search for Trent Robinson Aviation on Facebook and Instagram and you'll see the post asking for your questions there. You can also get hold of me at info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au and I will also answer emails. Thanks, everyone. Until next week, got a fantastic episode. It's going to be a two-part series. We're going to be talking about ditching. So the first part, I'm going to go through what it's like to ditch, just the uh, CASA AC or advisory circular talking about the topic. We'll talk about life jackets, life rafts, and just what to expect and how to train for ditching, how to train students. So if you're an instructor or student or a regular pilot, especially if you have any overwater uh, sectors that you do from time to time, then it is a great episode to listen to. And the week after that, I will be interviewing someone who has ditched themselves. So I'll release a bit more info on that as we get closer to the date. So a great couple of episodes coming up to finish off the month. Until then, clear skies, 
And remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, guys.